I love that this title on here just says Entitlement, Selfishness, Narcissism. My memoir. Child stars, entitlement, selfishness, and narcissism. Okay, this whole time I've been shining the light on access from only one direction, the outside world getting access to the child. But access is bi-directional, and I want to reverse directions and talk about what happens when the child performer gains unique access to the outside world. What happens when child performers due to fame and the industry accrue copious access to wealth, material luxuries, status, and power? What traits and behaviors show up? Well, let's make this fun and pretend you're the child actor. So go back in time to your childhood self. Remember, that means you're also at an earlier stage of development. Depending on your age, your brain cannot separate fantasy from reality. Uh, you don't have fully formed logic or rationality to reason through experiences. You can't consider multiple perspectives of what's going on. Your subjective experience is dominant. So now picture yourself as a child performer. Your days are spent taking dance or acting classes, learning lines, driving across town for auditions. You start booking work, and now you're making money, which you hear is going somewhere to a college fund or something. Your guardian is now on your payroll, even though you don't know what that means, and you vaguely grasp that, you know, they had to stop working their job to help drive you to auditions, so they're going to take some of the money you make, so there's food on the table. And you're not going to touch that money until you're 18, which is like light years away. Money is basically an imaginary thing at this point. Speaking of imagination, like all kids, you occasionally have outlandish ideas to buy a pony or eat 12 scoops of ice cream in a row. For your siblings, your guardian would just say no and settle that. In your case, you seem to have a special bond with them. There's a different dynamic of authority and agreeableness. Whether you explicitly understand this or not, your entertainment career is kind of running the show for you both. And as you gain more success, you kind of gain more power. Your guardian knows you need to be in a good mood and good space to get the job done. And sometimes you'll need special supplies or support. So even if they treat you equally to your siblings, the industry involves making tons of exceptions. You get to stay out past your bedtime filming, to buy new clothes for auditions, to get expensive voice lessons because it might help you book work. You're also technically the one making the money, so shouldn't you be able to get some of the stuff that you want? Because you earned it. You won't understand the abnormal dynamic for years, but you have no other reference point right now. Anyway, so... You expand out to your team of agents, managers, and publicists. You really want to please them, and you want to make them proud. Simultaneously, they want your spirits to remain high. They know it's a competitive industry, and you're being rejected and ridiculed regularly, so they often praise you for your talents and talk about how cute and precocious you are. They say pretty much whatever will keep your self-esteem high. This establishes a layer of yes people around you versus one where honest feedback is welcomed and doesn't demolish your fragile self-concept. With all the compliments, you start to believe you're the shit, and that feels really good. For the few adults in your life who tell you like it is, you find them quite unfavorable and not worth your time and energy. For example, I was in a rehearsal for a project called Jam X Kids, where every kid needed to be a triple threat. Most kids could already sing, but I couldn't. 
I definitely booked the job because I was in the Missy video and in Disney shows, so I was bringing the name value, so to speak. But during the first rehearsal, I refused to sing out loud in front of the other kids, and the vocal coach wouldn't tolerate this or make an exception like I was used to, so he kicked me out of rehearsal until I changed my attitude. I was humiliated, like eyes and tears, ego bruised. You know, I had that thought of like, don't you know who I am as a kid? But thank God this happened. It was so important for me to have someone who didn't coddle me or bend to my entitlement. This man, Nick Cooper, immediately earned my respect by setting that boundary and demonstrating authority and fairness among the performers. I ended up sheepishly humbling myself enough to ask him if I could train with him one-on-one until I caught up to the other kids. He graciously agreed, and I ended up coaching with him for years. He changed my life. He saw my need for guidance and support beyond vocal training. He saw me in my wholeness as a human. He stepped in as a father figure while somehow never overstepping professional lines. You know, I didn't see my real dad after I moved to LA, and Nick's presence was truly irreplaceable. He is one of the key people who helped me steer away from becoming a train wreck. But not everyone has a Nick Cooper, and the Nick Coopers shouldn't have to shoulder the whole burden of a child headed for disaster. Amidst his heartfelt support, the yes-men culture abounded. Remember, put yourself in the mindset of a child as all of this is unfolding. And let's say you're 10 or 11 now. You book a new film with some big stars, and as you get on set, you see this yes-men culture at all new levels. Production assistants are on coffee runs, hairstylists are holding fans to keep the stars cool, directors are stroking the actors' egos at lunch, and on one project, Steve Martin is your dad, It's like his 70th film or something. He has an assistant, Don, who places a bike for him to ride between the soundstage and his trailer less than 100 feet away. And when he lands at point A, Don turns the bike around so it's ready when he comes back out to go to point B. Steve also has fake grass under his trailer because I'm not sure, but it's probably important. Maybe I should request some fake grass too. So then on your day off from filming, you go out for dinner with your mom. Gone are the days of just ordering food and paying, though. The waitstaff see your face, and suddenly you have a free round of dessert and your bill's slashed in half. You didn't ask for it, but it's becoming a fairly regular experience, even when you try to politely decline. You take a photo with a staff to be hung on the wall, which will still be there 15 years later, and then you walk across the street to the movie theater, where the employees freak out, and give you both free tickets. The special treatment carries over into other places too, like at the airport where TSA invites you to skip the security line. Then at the mall, the sales rep hands you a tote bag with free stuff, which draws attention from other shoppers who then recognize you and tell you how amazing you are and how much they love your work. You're 11, and you have no other reference point for reality. I remember one time I went to a professional baseball game just as a sports fan, but then the pro dance team uh, saw that I was there, and this is after the Missy video released, and suddenly I was learning their routines and performing with them on the dugout for the entire stadium during the seventh inning stretch. At a different game, I threw out the first pitch. At a different game, I performed the halftime show. This became my norm for sporting events. 
Now, a shadowy side of this excessive access to the world is that you sometimes receive special treatment that isn't healthy or safe. So picture yourself just turning 14, you're feeling awkward as ever in your denim skirt, tank, and arm fishnets. You're attending a premiere after party, and you're led into the club even though you're very underage. Normally, your parent doesn't leave your side, but, you know, it's been several years by now, and you insist you're fine to hang out with your co-stars alone this time. By the way, my mom never did this, but I know many parents do. So your parents drop you off, and you walk in, and your co-star squeals to greet you, handing you a drink because you're just in time for the first toast. You may not drink it, but suddenly there's alcohol in your hand, and you know that's illegal. The older teenagers ask if you want to go do a line in the bathroom to get the night going. You don't know what kind of line in the bathroom they're referring to, but you respond that you don't have to pee, and you walk towards the DJ to dance. You feel nervous about the adults watching all of this happen, but they don't seem phased. The bodyguards, bouncers, and your publicist assure you that they'll keep the secret safe and your image clean if you want to have fun. The adults and minors are mingling like everyone's in the same age bracket. You say no to all the offers and advances at first, but as the months go by, it becomes so normal. It's not even scary. It's maybe even kind of appealing or cool. You also start to notice that the peers who are making it big happen to be the ones who party or play the networking game more than you do. Here, you thought it was about talent, so you stayed home to train, but now you're wondering what you might be missing if you're not going to the late-night hangouts. Your peers start to have tons of stories, inside jokes. They're drinking, smoking weed, having sex. So what do you do? You've got the same access to power. How are you going to manage it? All this is happening in your teens. The world is your oyster. You are rich, successful, famous. You've literally made it already. And within your insulated media bubble, it really feels like the world revolves around you. How could you not become self-absorbed? You are the center of attention everywhere you go. Others know your name. You don't even have to remember theirs. Others change their plans to bend to your schedule. You will never be available on their terms. And whatever you want, you can buy it right now. As the surrounding culture promotes, it's uh, time to show off your fortune with flashy material possessions. So what fancy car do you want? What vacation will you send your family on? What properties do you want to buy? I remember I worked with a cast of young people and during the course of one week, someone spent $40,000 on new furniture for their second apartment. They didn't think twice because they just landed a brand deal that was like six figures for one YouTube video. I did not ever make money like that. And that's a normal misconception given the amount of work that many of us have done. But many of my peers were making millions. So $40,000, not an issue. They just purchased and purchased and purchased with so little resistance and warning from those around them. You know, this wasn't like buying little trinkets at souvenir shops for friends. These were the most expensive things in the world. Crystal pianos, yachts, private jets, restaurant chains, a percentage of a sports team. Where do you go from here if your first world tour at 16 years old grosses 50 million in the box office? Flash forward and bring yourself back into your adult headspace. Logic, reason, critical thinking separating reality from imagination, finances, budgeting, responsibilities, daily stressors. Say you were granted access to live this life of excess as an adult for even a month with no end in sight. 
Tell me this wouldn't influence your mindset and behavior. Magnify hopes, dreams, desires, risks, rewards. Magnify personality traits, whether generosity or greed, ambition or passivity. So then picture this happening to a kid who doesn't have any other standard of reality to go by. A kid who wasn't even aware that all of this would happen. They were just on the ride, pursuing something they love. Over years of being conditioned by this environment, they wound up rich and famous before they could even drive. What kind of person do you think they become? And who's at fault? What's interesting is that we know from psychology that letting kids get whatever they want without limits can lead to narcissism, entitlement, and reckless behavior. Ding, ding, ding. Three words we love to use when hating on famous kid actors. It's true. There may be tons of ways that we, myself included, embody traits of narcissism and entitlement and recklessness. I mean, fingers crossed I'm healing through those as much as possible. Sometimes as kid stars, we might be consciously aware of our special power and we can wield it over others for better and worse. I knew in my teens that I could either use my money to help fundraise for a cause or I could see my peers using their power to like get people fired on sets. And I'm almost certain that nobody ever spoke to any of us about what it means to exercise power wisely. We just were handed it, unearned, unchecked. Yikes, right? Sometimes we as kid stars may not even realize that what we're expecting out of a situation is completely skewed by our privilege. I've made so many embarrassing comments that I instantly regretted over the years that gave away how easy some things came to me. Like I said, I don't know what kind of shampoo to buy or what you should get. I've never bought any. I get mine from gifting lounges. What? No! Or turning 16 and being able to buy your first car in cash. Though I did choose a Kia and I still drive it 12 years later. But that's not the point. But even with the law, sometimes celebrities speed, drive drunk, even damage property and get off without a single mark on their record. It's horrible. Except when you're the star and it saves your ass from prison. You know, child performers are afforded so many kinds of power and access. But there's one that I actually think everyone could benefit from to a degree. We grew up hearing we were special, that we really can believe in ourselves and find opportunities. To this day, I know I have a certain self-esteem that I gained through early experiences of my effort being met with opportunity, encouragement, and achievement. Even amidst rejection, I had clear signals that I was someone, that I mattered. That was a gift. So many kids don't have that validation and support. However, due to fame and celebrity culture, it often becomes overinflated. And we're not only perceived as special, but we're placed on pedestals. The wild part? We can easily believe it's true because the world around us reinforces it regularly. Please, do not feed the child actor's ego. Give them some chores. So let me be clear, I'm not suggesting that narcissism, entitlement, reckless behavior is okay or excusable. I'm just saying if you don't see some of the simple cause and effect here, we're doing that thing we often do where we isolate the individual as the problem and fail to examine the environment and the systems that created conditions for these outcomes. I will always support personal accountability and taking ownership for the impact that we have on other people and the planet. That does not mean I can ignore these factors in the toddler to train wreck pipeline. These kids who are highly prized within their networks 
rarely see healthy boundaries, rarely get any limits, and can usually get someone else to handle the difficult responsibilities for them. It can actually be quite detrimental and wounding. So how can we judge child stars' behavior without looking at the norms they're growing up around? The pervasive ideologies of fame, the institutions of power that give them a leg up. Kid actors know that in Hollywood, amassing power and status provides an advantage in a dog-eat-dog industry. It means you're winning. It means you're one step closer to your big dreams coming true. So why wouldn't you go after it? And just as delicious as power feels as a child, it sets child actors up for a rude awakening and terrible hardship when they reach adulthood and everything changes. Life gets really hard and they've got very few skills. Access and boundaries. On the one hand, everyone has access to us and there aren't many boundaries to protect us. On the other hand, the world is our oyster and we can access almost whatever we want. On the first hand, we're vulnerable and voiceless. On the second hand, we're cultural icons. What a dichotomy of extremes. Is this helping paint the picture yet of how fucking bizarre it is that child stardom exists? For now, uh, we've covered a lot. My brain hurts. But next, we're going to dig into the second and third aspects of bodily autonomy, including body image and what's happening to a kid's nervous system as they grow up in the industry. Um, but I think maybe we pause here for a moment, digest, integrate, chat. So I want to flip the attention on you. In terms of access and boundaries, what do you know now about a child performer's experience that you didn't? Uh, what stood out to you? How does that shape your perspective of kids and entertainment and what might need adjusting? I invite you to bring some compassion into your reflection and to err on the side of humanizing everyone involved. Just notice the judgments and feelings and maybe who you want to blame. Then get curious about all of it. We don't have to draw any conclusions yet. Additionally, I invite you to reflect on your own experiences with access, boundaries, and power dynamics. What are the ideologies and institutions that you were raised in? How has that shaped you? What do you know about your right to self-advocate? How and when do you use it? And what happens when you assert your needs? You deserve to step into your power and have your voice be heard and respected. So next episode, I'm digging into the Wild West. Okay, I'm going to talk about surgeries that I've had that I've never told you about. Clearly, they're not breast implants, but I did have that thought since childhood because of the industry. And I'm going to go somewhere no one seems to go, which is examining how the industry affects the nervous system, attachment styles, overall biological development. Spoiler alert, all of it adds up, and it might just continue to inform us why so many child performers end up with health issues, relationship issues, and other challenges. But before I go, I want to say thank you for listening so far. I want to recognize that we're talking about some harsh things that may be stirring. Never am I going to claim that my experience was entirely bad or that I had it worst. Never will I dismiss the wonderful positives and privileges. However, I've spent 20 years talking about the positives, so it's time for the rest of the story. We all deserve a better world, better systems and conditions for healthy, safe childhoods. So let the weirdness of child entertainment be an entry point to examining and improving society at large. We get to build the world we want to live in right now. But until then, I've got a lot more stories, so click to the next episode.
See you there. On the next episode, I started losing clumps of hair from my head, um, but instead I was growing lanugo, which is the fine hair all over your body that indicates malnourishment and a lack of body fat to keep yourself warm.